Retro Hangover is supported via Patreon by listeners like you. We would especially like to thank patrons Lyle McCarns, Ashton Ruby, Randall Quiggle, Tony G, Katie Quigg, Paul Romalo, Raging Demon, Masked Llama, Ozzy Garcia, Keith Gasper, and Mera. Your continued engagement and generous donations are deeply appreciated. Open your ears and crack some beers. You are listening to episode 102 of Retro Hangover. Retroing Classic Gamers, welcome to the podcast where we get gregarious and giddy, gladly giving ghosts ghoulish goods. This is episode 102 of Retro Hangover. I am your co-host, Chris Copleen, with special guest, Sanye, and, as always, your host, Shane Lance Chuckin' Dick Dragon Koski. All right, so I need to know, and this this is this is feedback. I want it directly from the listeners. What precisely would you give as a gift to a ghost? Is this rhetorical right now? No. Did did I not make that clear? I want. F- you said the listeners. I want feedback. No, yeah. Okay. After after this comes out, I want to know. I want to see it in the Discord or something. Because that seems very nebulous. So I, I want some good answers as to what you would give. You, you could be like the, the secret levels who cur- who uh, coined the term thicker tree. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. I mean, is that is that not just both? Like, is thick not a treat in and of itself, really? It could be. It could be. But uh, welcome, everybody, to episode 102. We got a special episode today for you, like every episode is. And we're going to be talking about some ghouls and ghosts, specifically for the Sega Genesis, because I think that's the one we all played for today. I certainly hope so. I would hope so. I mean, there are multiple versions. You don't have to play the Genesis version. They're all relatively the same. I feel like our guest might disagree with that. We'll see. But <laughs> speaking of our guest, uh, let me introduce her. She is she's accidental retro gamer. I want to hear about that. Uh, 1980s nostalgia lover, a pop song writer and composer, musician, singer, performer, a former athlete a collector of all interesting things, and she loves cats. It is Sonia. Welcome to the show. Woo! Thank you so much. <laughs> okay, I have to ask. You, you, put in, you put in your description here an accidental retro gamer. Why are you an accidental retro gamer? Well, that's a great question to start with. I actually, you know, for quite a while, I didn't even think that what I was doing was retro gaming. <laughs> I thought I was like, everybody was still playing their Sega Genesis from 1990, <laughs> you know, because my family had this mentality. They raised us as if it ain't broke, don't, you know, you know what I mean? Like if your washing machine's not broke, why update it kind of a thing? Yeah, right. Okay. So that's not, par- it's partially true. So I partially started on the Commodore 64, thanks to my cousin, my older cousin, and he's like my brother. So we kind of like grew up together. And so I started playing like Mission Impossible, Impossible Mission on there. 
And then they got me an Atari 2600. And then I played on that. And then we got this, I got the Sega Genesis for Christmas 1990. And after that, that was it. I'm like, I'm just playing this thing forever until it breaks. And I, hope, and I don't want it to break. But anyway, so that's how I became an accidental retro gamer. That's nuts. I think you're the first person we've had on our show that their first console was the Commodore 64. I think so. <laughs> I never hear that. That's, that's amazing. And I am 62 years old, so just let you know. Oh, okay. Wow, you sound great for 62. It's the games. They've kept me young. <laughs> <laughs> the souls within them, you just gather and they just come through the cartridge. But, you know, I'm looking forward to having you on this episode. And uh, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And uh, as we are wont to do on all of our episodes, we talk about what we are playing. So... Uh, Sonia, how about as our guest, you go ahead and kick us off. What if what video games have you been playing lately and what have you been up to? OK, well, to be honest, because I'm coming on this podcast, uh, I basically, you know, hooked up my my Genesis because I'm not at home right now. I'm at an Airbnb. So I brought it with me and I hooked it up to play. And for the first time ever, I hooked up this console from 1990 via an HDMI port. Dun, dun, dun. Can you believe it? Nice. Mm. So, yeah, up until now, I've been using the old connection, like through the cable at home. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I should update my TV, too. No. Honestly, no. <laughs> I don't think so. No. Don't. <laughs> no. I mean, well, so here's the question, though, right? Do you do you, do you have it hooked up to an old like CRT, like a tube TV? Mm, no. No. OK. OK. <laughs> well, it's a, you know, wow. it's a legitimate question. OK, yeah. maybe. Yes. I didn't want to say yes. I was embarrassed. What you're, Sonia? You're Do on a you're on a retro game podcast, Sonia. Okay, it's okay, okay. So I've been playing on a retro TV. You get like <laughs> extra kudos for that, you know. Way more bonus points for that. <laughs> awesome. Well, so yeah, I've been trying to brush up on the game, and I tried to play it in half an hour. Man, an hour and a half in, I'm almost at the end. I have it on pause right now downstairs, nice. and uh, you know, it takes. It, it's been. Uh, because I'm a little rusty, it's, you know, it's it's kind of like you losing the chops a little bit. Same thing with guitar, you know, if you don't practice, it takes you a little bit longer. But before this game, uh, I have updated, I have to say, I did get a Nintendo Switch. And the game I love to play on it, and you're going to laugh at me, it's Mario Odyssey. Yes, it came out like five years ago, but I love playing it. So uh, no laughter here. That's supposed to be an absolutely fantastic game. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, sure. I love it. And there's so many other games that I want to get into. But again, like I, I'm, I'm going at a snail pace and I'm proud of my accidental retro gamer, you know, nickname tag. And I want to own it. So sometimes I'm scared to play anything new because I'm like, I don't want to be a real gamer. <laughs> Just <wanna> be. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sonia, I, so I have to ask then. So what's your what's your cutoff? Like, is it as soon as everything got 3D, like that's 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 for the kids or like where, where do you draw the line? Well, actually, that's what happened. My my cutoff was nothing after this console, right? But then, okay. you know, my brother had kids, and my nephew had the PlayStation, and then there's this um, this snowboarding game that I really liked that was 3D that was on it. Uh, I don't know the name. Cool Borders. Maybe it's like a really famous mm. one. Like everyone played it. It might be it. Yeah, you would do like flips on the snowboard, and you get points and things like that. So I played that game a little bit. I liked it, but I resisted getting any console. 
And yeah, what was the question again? <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just curious what the what what your cutoff was, but it sounds like it's you were basically just like, listen, the Genesis is the best and I will never play anything else ever. Well, to be honest, I'm I'm now like really happy that I have the Switch and I love it and I love like the new games and my, I also have VR now. So I want to keep up. I don't want to do the same thing, you know. I don't sure. want to but who knows, maybe 30 years from now, I'll be like, I'm still playing the same VR, you know? <laughs> oh, God. Like Can you imagine eventually, like, if we keep doing this show long enough, we're going to have to start talking about retro VR games. VR? <laughs> It's not going to happen because I don't have VR. You can do that, Shane. You got it. <laughs> but I don't want to. <laughs> we'll be in a VR by that. Point. Yeah, exactly. We'll just be, that will be our life. It'll it'll be that Back to the Future scene where they're just like, you have to use your hands to play. <laughs> yeah. Imagine that. That's supposed to be in like 2017 or 2018 or something like that, right? I'm still waiting for a legit hoverboard, man. <laughs> so, Shane, what have you been up to, dude? What have you been playing? Uh, you know what? I'll give you one guess. Dark Souls? <laughs> I mean, okay, that, that actually is a pretty good guess. But no, no. Just more D2 resurrected, man. Like, that's going to eat my free time for the foreseeable future. Um, ha- Having one of, if not the favorite game of all time, finally get an HD remaster. And of, as Sonia was pointing out, um, the convenience of being on the Switch uh, I can now pretty much play Diablo 2 anywhere I want forever. And with like the cross save, you know, I can play on my Switch. And then if I'm at my computer, I can just fire up, you know, battle.net and continue playing the same character on my PC. So D2 is basically entirely ubiquitous now. I can never escape it. And I am strangely okay with that. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah. But, uh, but what about you, man? I know you've been trying to do some stuff to keep yourself busy uh, in your travels. So. What's the what's the latest distraction? Well, you may have heard two episodes ago, which if you know, you know, I was playing Final Fantasy one, the pixel remaster, and I completed it. It kind of it kind of finished with the same vibe I was having. I actually wrote out a review and uh, it's it's going to be up. So if you're a patron, you'll you'll be hearing that in the future. But I don't know what I'm going to do after that. Um, It hasn't been since that long since I talked about it on our previous recording. Mm -hmm. So. I gotta find I gotta find a new game. So I'm I'm thinking about going to my Wii U because I brought wow. it. So I might as well play it. Shocker. Yeah, I know. Shocking, right? <laughs> hey, I've been playing games on the PC for a while. The past three games I've played on the PC, including this episode's game, because I've been traveling. So I, I need to get into back to my Wii U because I brought it with me. So I might play Bayonetta two. I think I might go that direction. Um, just because the Bayonetta three trailer came out, it looks sweet, and Bayonetta two is supposed to be a really good game. So I think that's the direction I'm going to go in. Okay. There's also the game for next episode that I got to I got to get down on. Yeah, you do. You're sick. <laughs> Listen, man, <laughs> you can take that however you wish. <laughs> yeah, I, there's there's really not much going on. I just know I'm going to be in North Carolina here for um, until like another week. And then I head up to Virginia for two weeks and then Virginia for another two weeks. And then I get to go back home. But it's still... You know, just a lot of stuff I got to do yeah. uh, in, in real life. And uh, but I'm looking forward to it because once I get home, I just get to sit around on my ass and do nothing for for a month. And then I just 
then I go to my uh, then I go to my job, <laughs> which is basically what we all did last year for a year, right? Exactly. Truth. Exactly. <laughs> I'm enjoying it life. I just wanted to add something before you, any of you change subjects. Um, since we are talking about recent games, and it is the Halloween episode, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. If you do end up getting a VR, uh, the, Oc- the Oculus Quest, to be more specific, I highly recommend the Walking Dead game. It mm. is, it's a trip. <laughs> nice. No, that, that sounds that good. That sounds scary. I mean, yeah. that's the thing, right? Is like, I, I don't know about you, but um, did you did you watch the show or are you still watching the show? I actually haven't watched the show like all the way through. But fun fact, the character that plays Shane, we went to the same college. So no shit. I know. Isn't it cool? So that's awesome. Yeah, our whole school is like really proud of him. And um, that's how I found out about the show when it first came out. And uh, I've only watched like a little bit of it, but but I know more about the VR game than the actual show itself. Okay. Yeah. No, I was just curious because I didn't know if you had any strong feelings about it. Like I was super into the walking dead when it first came out and then I just ended up falling off at some point because it's just, uh, kind of lost some steam. I think Shane left. Well, yeah, I mean, there is that for sure. (laughs) I'm super happy for him too, by the way, like going on to like be the Punisher and like he's been so successful now. Like it's and he's just like a genuinely good dude too. shout out John Bernthal. Yes, 100 percent. I watched the first season. Well, you got arguably some of the best parts of the show then. So (laughs) so there you go. But she uh, she did bring up a good point. I don't think we've brought it up in the previous two episodes that there is kind of a theme of Spooktober. Uh, excuse me, that's Spooktober. Thank you. I'm sorry, Spooktober. Yeah. <laughs> Ashton, put some reverb on that and make it sound real awesome. Oh, yeah. Before we get into the brief history, just a reminder that every patron uh, until January will be getting exclusive content for the King of Games 2000 with the Region Free Gamers podcast. So I know this is the beginning of the episode is don't want to get it buried at the end because we've worked really hard on this and we're really proud of it. So if you are a patron, every single level gets access to that. So go ahead and check that out. And that's all I really got on that, Shane. Back to you. Yeah. And, you know, if uh, if you are, you know, unwilling or unable, because we totally understand, you know, money is tight these days. If if you're not a patron, then do not do not worry, because the, the King of Games 2K will also be available on this mainstream feed, uh, I believe, towards the beginning of January. Is that right, Chris? Yes. Uh, the last episode is uh, available for patron exclusivity on January 6th, and then we will start putting them out to everybody. Awesome. So there you go. Um, but yeah, we we had a really fun time doing that. So um, we we want you guys out there to, to experience it. And also, we just really like hearing your disgusted feedback at the choices that we've made (laughs) so uh but at any rate we are here to talk about one of the spoopiest games from the the early generation of consoles and to give you uh, a little bit of a brief history on ghouls and ghosts i'm gonna pass this over to chris so chris please take it away One hallmark of arcade games, especially in the 80s, is their absolutely brutal difficulty. Capcom was no stranger to this concept, and in 1985 released one of the most notoriously difficult games while still maintaining a high level of popularity with Ghosts and Goblins. 
The game was soon ported to the NES and many other microcomputers, where its legacy of just being a major pain in the ass was even further cemented, yet still managed to find its way into the hearts of many a gamer. So in October of 1988, Capcom decided to create a sequel to its arcade hit and called it Ghouls and Ghosts. The plot would take place three years after the original, and instead of Princess Prin-Prin being abducted, her and her kingdom are yeeted off the face of the earth. It is now up to Arthur to go and save everyone from the evil forces. Most of the team that had worked on the original had returned for the sequel. Tokuro Fujiwara would return as the game's lead designer, and would leave most of the gameplay from the previous installment intact, while adding a lot of improvements to Arthur's capabilities. Arthur could now hurl his weapon upward as well as downward while airborne. Additionally, armor upgrades were added that allowed the player to charge an attack for additional firepower and would make things much easier if used correctly. Regardless of the improvements that could possibly make the game a tad easier, it was still considered to be ridiculously difficult, a trait it was appreciated for. The game would be the second highest grossing arcade game in January of 1989, with it being the eighth best performing game of that year in the arcades in Japan. Console ports were still the order of the day, but now it was Sega's turn to reap the benefits considering it was the holder of more powerful hardware with its still fresh Genesis, as well as an NEC port to its super graphics that was just newly released for Japanese audiences only, of course. Sega would actually publish the Genesis version itself, with famed game designer Yuji Naka coming in to perform the entire effort, as well as a wildly different take of the game for its soon-to-be-discontinued Master System. As we are focusing on that Genesis version, it would release on August 3, 1989 in Japan, with a North American release arriving in September and Europe seeing its arrival in November of the same year. Reception from critics was overwhelmingly positive. So positive, in fact, that EGM would give the Genesis version of the game their overall Game of the Year award. The game solidified a legacy for the series, which has received several sequels and remakes to include re-releases on the Sega Genesis Mini in 2019 and the TurboGrafx Mini in 2020. There's no denying that the game's legacy has long been tied to its unforgiving difficulty. And even at a time when people ask for easier difficulties for many games, this one has largely stood the test of time. Whether you consider it a progenitor to Dark Souls or an obscure relic of its time, Ghouls and Ghosts will always be there to remind you just how good you may have to get. And that is your brief history of Ghouls and Ghosts. All right. Thank you, Chris, for that brief history of Ghouls and Ghosts. So as we are want to do, we'll go ahead and kind of jump into, you know, kind of our, our personal discussion um, covering the different key aspects of, of the game in question. And so starting off with that, of course, is our personal experiences. And um, I, don't, I don't know about anybody else, but I'm actually very interested in hearing uh, Sanye's personal experiences with this game beyond kind of what we've already chit chatted about at the beginning. So Sonia, would you like to kind of fill us in on kind of your, your personal experiences and thoughts uh, with Ghouls and Ghosts? 
Sure, I would love to. So going back to, like I said, we got the console and uh, the game came with, the console came with Altered Beast. And then we played that, of course. And then soon after, you know, like Sonic was huge. But when we played this game for the first time, it, it was definitely different. It had this like epic feel to it. So to speak. And luckily, like I, like I said, I had my cousin with me and, uh, we were, you know, it was Christmas time and we kind of like hunkered down and we put in the two player version or we would switch. We would like take turns and like, it was so hard, you know, and we were like, <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's, he got this part and then I, I was better at this part. So he gave the console to me and we would pause the game and then have like lunch, come back, play it again for another four hours, pause it for dinner. You know, come back, like, the console and the TV is already like steaming hot, right? Of course. Anyway, so that was just so exciting. And I love those memories. And when you get through something or we got through like one of the bosses, it would just feel like amazing. Like this e euphoric feeling, like the, all the dopamine like exploding in our brains, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and I just have this crazy memory, too, of like, you know, when when the continue button comes up, and then you have to press start. Like one of us accidentally pushed like hurry up and we ended up the ending the game by accident. Ooh. So there's that. And then there was another one where we made it all the way to the to the whatever you want to call it, the giant larva, mm -hmm. the, like the really ma gross maggot boss. Yeah. And we were like fighting that thing tooth and nail. And then like um, my cousin sat on the reset button. The console was on the bed. Whoops. So, I mean, that's the kind of stuff that makes me laugh looking back when we first started out playing. No, that that's awesome. And see, it's funny because, you know, you kind of mentioned that you put just hours and hours consecutively into it. And, you know, there are times and I don't know if if this kind of resonates with you as well, but it's just like. You think about that, right? And you kind of wish now that you still had the ability to just like dedicate entire afternoons to just like, mm. you know, chipping away at one single game and just getting really good at it. Cause like, I know at least for me, like that's almost an impossibility now just with, you know, how things are. Um, so it's, it's definitely one of those, I guess, childhood experiences back when you had all that free time. That's true. And also, I mean, you can use the holidays as, a, as an excuse. I mean, I know we all have family obligations and things like that, but <laughs> <laughs> that's one of the main reasons I still I like the holiday time because I'm like, OK, it's an excuse. I can actually hunker down for a day or two if I want to and play nonstop Sega Genesis, you know, just to keep that spirit alive. And, oh, yeah. You know, yeah, for sure. My adult responsibilities. <laughs> yeah. You know, just tell everyone, Hey, listen, you guys enjoy your eggnog and whatever you, you, I'm, I'm going to disappear for about six hours. Don't exactly. ask any questions. I'm just going to go. <laughs> exactly. One of the best things about adult responsibilities is convincing my children to enjoy the same things I do. So we can all avoid adult responsibilities. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's a great plan. Just all together, <laughs> all together now. <laughs> uh, you want me to go next Shane? Yeah, sure. So actually, when Sonia proposed this episode, because this episode was her idea, which it was awesome. Yeah. OK, it was. <laughs> this is news. Evidently, <laughs> <laughs> at least that's how I remember it. I might be wrong, but uh, I'm, I'm just going to roll with it. But she I remember she her proposing it. I was like, OK, cool. I played a lot of super ghouls and ghosts. It's all the same game. <laughs> 
it's not the same game. Yeah, about that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a completely different game. Oh, so I had when I, yes. So when I started digging into it, like a lot of my misconceptions about ghouls and ghosts started coming to light. Like, oh, ghouls and ghosts isn't just a remake of Ghosts and Goblins. I mean, it kind of is, but it's not. It's a completely different game. It's actually a sequel. And Super Ghouls and Ghosts is the third game. So I had to go back and completely play it from the ground up, like specifically for this episode. I remember getting it for my Genesis back at home, which I can't be playing right now because, you know, I'm, I'm traveling. Yeah, I, I certainly experienced it and I'm not we'll get more to the gameplay and, and what I feel about it at the end. But I made the huge misfortune of not bringing the correct controller with me to play the game. Ooh. So, yeah, I'm playing with this. Uh, I wouldn't call it a shitty controller, but it's it's a functional controller. However, the D pad is horrendous and the best way to play the game was with an analog stick. And Ugh. if you know anything about. Yeah, <laughs> you know anything about old platformers playing anything with a retro stick is co a complete disaster. You mean and, like an Atari um, stick? No, like a uh, like an Xbox stick. Okay. <laughs> it's it's even worse. I'd probably rather be playing it with an Atari stick to be honest with you. <laughs> it was not fun. I tried playing with the D-pad, but the D-pad is just like one solid piece of plastic. It's an old, it's like a Power A PlayStation 3 controller. Do not recommend this game for 2D games at all. Do not do not do that. Um, but that that was my experience with uh, just ghouls and ghosts and uh, oof, probably not the best way to do it. I should have brought my Sega Genesis uh, USB controller. Mm. Yeah, that's yeah, that that's that's rough. I mean, you might as well just you know what? Just go go all in on it, man. Just try to play it with like a Guitar Hero controller. <laughs> <laughs> Safe states, needless to say, were my friend. Uh, you, yeah, you, you don't say, huh? Yes. Yeah. So how about you, Shane? Uh, so my experience with this is a little, a little bit different. So I, um, well, actually I still do own, um, super ghouls and ghosts. Um, I don't know why, cause I'm awful at it, but I sure do own it. And, um, I, I like, I really wanted to like that game. Um, and that kind of carries over into this one as well. And we'll get into that in a little bit, but I never really played this one kind of back in the day. Um, but then I thought about it, right. Cause I didn't have the console version. I, I never owned a Genesis first of all. So I didn't have that one initially, but I thought more about it and I was like, this reminds me of something this like, there's a, <laughs> it's a, it's a core memory somewhere in there. And the more I thought about it, I realized I have played this game, uh, but it was the arcade cabinet what to yeah totally random okay but the wow. I, I, and i think i've mentioned this before uh on on at least one of our episodes but where i lived when i was growing up was like a very rural sort of area so not too different from where i'm at now in a completely different state um but the cool thing was that we had this little what we called the corner store and it was a little convenience store but it was run by this like little elderly New Englander couple. Um, the only people I've ever known in my life, by the way, that had legit Maine accents and it was amazing <laughs> and they were super nice. And we would always go down there and get like snacks or whatever. And they were located right near the lake near our house. So of course they were also like a bait and tackle shop and like all that stuff, but they always had one arcade cabinet and mm -hmm. occasionally every few years or whatever, they'd swap it out for something else. I have no idea by the way, who was distributing arcade cabinets to bumfuck nowhere, Maine, but they were apparently. <laughs> and for a while, one of them was 
this arcade cabinet. So I actually remember playing this, like dropping quarters into this thing, wasting several dollars worth of quarters, <laughs> trying to make any kind of progress. So yeah, so that's that's actually my personal experience with it. It's like totally out of nowhere. I love that um, story. That's awesome. I don't I've never actually seen a real cabinet before. So that's wild. Yeah. And of course, thinking back on it now, right, I'm just like, God, I wish I would have salvaged that from them if I had only known. Oh, oh man, I played I played the cabinet in Barcade not too long ago before the pandemic. Mm. And yeah, I mean, uh, you put in a lot of quarters, that's for sure. But it, it is <laughs> <laughs> it's fun. And um you know, I never played the original version. I want to give a shout out, actually, to Patrick Hickey Jr. He's coming out with his Sega Genesis book really soon. Yes. Mm. So uh, I went to one of his uh, seminars and he knows that I love this game. So he was like, check this out. And he sh- sh- handed me his phone and it was ghouls and goblins. And then I was like, oh, yeah, well, check this out. And I was ready to like plow through the game to show him how good I was at it. <laughs> And I was like, what is this? This was like not the game I knew. And he was like, yeah, this is the original. And I almost nearly like threw his phone like across the room. (laughs) I was like, I'm not playing this. So that was my experience with the original and never again. (laughs) That's a good one. I've only I've only seen like an angry video game nerd version of the original. I won't touch it. No, I will not touch the original. Nope. Nope. All right. Well, I suppose moving right along, then we can probably I think we can cover this one in relatively short order, actually. But um, yeah. let's talk a little bit about the plot and writing such as it is. So, um, Chris, how about how about that plot? You heard it in the brief history. I guess it's a step up from just Princess Kidnapped. So there is that now Princess and her entire kingdom have been nuked. So you're just trying to revive them. The devil, which by the way, Lucifer. I just want yeah. to tell you, I had a really hard time not laughing when you said that their entire kingdom just got yeeted. <laughs> it, it did. It got yeeted off the face of the earth. Yeet. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I mean, that's what it is, right? It's just she's not the first one. She was kidnapped and this one. Everyone's dead. They get nuked by Lucifer or Loki, depending on what version you're playing. And I guess by killing the devil, you resurrect everybody. I I guess I guess that's it. I don't I mean, know. that I makes th- about as much sense as anything else. Right. I think the fourth yeah. version of this game should be yeeted off the face <laughs> of the earth. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess I mean, there's there's not much more to the plot. Sonia, you have anything to add? Yeah, I was like, I'm like, what well, is there a plot? I mean, I thought the plot was just to survive. I forgot about the princess. You know, when you have like like flying dragon snakes and sumo satans throwing up on you, grim reapers left and right, electric eyeball clouds. I mean, they're coming at you left and right. I, I just thought like, just get through this. I forgot about the princess, honestly. Sorry, princess. <laughs> I think that's a perfectly valid response to what's going on. You're just like, you know what? I've got much bigger problems right now. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Damn. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I, I, I honestly don't really have much to add here. Usually we have at least some kind of like semi insightful thing to say about like the plot and or writing that's involved in a game that we're discussing. But I just there's not really a lot here. And that's not to be fair. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I mean, this is coming from 
an era of, you know, very arcade centric games like this, where you're mm-hmm. really the, the, the plot such as it is, is really just a, you know, a thing to be able to hang the rest of the gameplay off of if for nothing else. Right. It's a reason for it to exist. It's just like, Oh, right. Um, yeah, you gotta, I don't know, save this kingdom. Right. I guess, I don't know, go kill a bunch of demons, try not to die, have fun. And that, <laughs> that's really, it. and that's okay. Like there are other games we've talked about that have been, you know, from this kind of general era or even in other, you know, sections of gaming history where, Sometimes you don't really need an involved plot. Like not everything needs to be an 80 hour RPG. Right. So I, I think you spent more, I put you, I think you put more effort into explaining why we're not talking about the plot there than they did in creating the plot. Well, you're welcome. <laughs> uh, so then, uh, just sliding right off from that and into the gameplay, um, let's go with Sanye. So what are your, what are your feelings about how this game plays? Okay, so I, you know, I believe that the more time you put into this, the better you'll get at it. You got to be you got to be patient. Uh, Memorization is key. You know, once you start to memorize things, you start it starts to become second nature. Um, But also your controller is so important. And I actually found that out the hard way. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Absolutely. See, I didn't know that until today either, based on your story and also my experience as I was trying to play the game this time on a different, you know, connection, an an HDMI connection for the first time. And I didn't bring my original controller with me. I don't know why. I brought the, I thought maybe bringing a newer controller would be better. So I brought the generic controller. And I don't know if it was that or the connection, but there was like a two, like a second lag. There was a one second lag. Yeah. So my thumb hurts a little bit from trying to play this game today. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so your connection is important. If you don't have that, it's, it's, it felt like, uh, like I was a chef and I had to put on a party for, you know, 24 coworkers and I had to cut 24 bagels basically with a, with a dull butter knife. (laughs) That's what it felt like that's a good comparison i like that it's also like a super new york like kind of comparison i like that you're just like let me i'm gonna tie everything back into bagels in some way bagels yes yeah (laughs) so you you not only need to be sharp yourself but you need the right controller and it needs to work with no lag and also um speaking of the you know let's speak of the game actually itself you know all the different tools that they have um, when you're first starting out, it's definitely like there's a certain tool for every every level, right? That's the best to have. Mm-hmm. But as you play it, and if you put in your 10,000 hours, and you know you you get to finish the game, if you're one of those players, then you start to realize, okay, so they've designed this game in such a way that no matter what tool you have, even if it kind of sucks, like you know, like maybe you need a projectile, but you have the flame. Uh, that's just one example. Right. They right. still made it happen like possible so that you can go through the game and, and went like you can finish the level even with the wrong tool, quote unquote. Because mm-hmm. I used to think like, oh, I have the flamethrower now. I can't beat the boss or whatever. But they didn't design it that way. They made it so that, you know, if you're if you're clever, if you think outside the box a little bit, you can use any tool or weapon to go through any level. That's a question I got for you then. Cause you're talking about the torch, the one where you throw and like the, the flames come out. Yeah. And sometimes it's inconvenient because you need a projectile 
And then, right. Right. So, so with that weapon, how do you defeat that larva boss? The, oh, the one where everything's come. How do you do that? God, I, I actually have. <laughs> <I've>, <laughs> that's a great question. I have beaten it. Have I? I can't remember, but I do remember having the flame on the Lara boss. I mean, you have to like kind of crouch down and throw the thing. I don't know. <laughs> that sounds awful. I say so. You might say that like it's definitely possible to possible. overcome things with any weapon, but it's probably noticeably more difficult, right? Depending yes. on what you have. Yes. Yeah. Yes. See, I'm I'm too much of a like I I don't have the capacity to invest like ten thousand hours into getting good at something like this. So like if I don't have the right weapon, I'm just like, well, I guess I I'm here. This is where I die. This is it. Well, I didn't sit down and actually say, okay, I'm going to invest ten thousand hours. I just well, nobody does to start with, but you know, it's a slippery <laughs> slope, Sonia. You I know? was just like, I'm just gonna. It's 1990, and I'm I'm still playing it. That's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> That's what really happened. <laughs> All right. What about you, Chris? This game's hard. Wow. Hot take. I know, right? Like most uh, unshocking and unsurprising take for me ever, which I have some pretty bad takes out there. But yeah, Sonny is 100% right. Me not having the right controller. I struggled through practice mode because there's practice and professional, which are your two difficulties. And um, even practice is going to just whoop your ass. Yep. It's not. Yeah. It's, it's, it's merciless. But that's part of the thing. Like this is this game is much in the mentality of the old arcade games that were coming out in the 80s. So just like any good shmup or any good arcade platformer, it requires you to learn the levels, It requires you to learn the best strategies. It's not always fair because the entire point was to take your money. Right. (laughs) So, you know, when they brought it over to the Genesis, they incorporated all the amount of, you know, same difficulties. I will say. You know, just from what I've seen from Ghosts and Goblins, not playing it, but everyone's like, get the knife, get the knife, like in uh, AV, AVGN. So I will say, like, the knife is probably my favorite weapon in the game. It just is. It's fast. It's powerful. It hits hard. Sure. But you're not as dependent on the knife uh, as you are probably in the previous game, because like here, the lance isn't that bad. The axe isn't that bad. I'm trying to think of the other ones. I have the knife. <laughs> yeah, the knife <laughs> is absolutely the best. OK, what 80s reference movie was that? Oh, God. I have the knife. It's Shane, you sounds like it's ringing a bell for you. It's not even ringing a bell for me. No, it's totally escaping me now. This I'm I'm put, I'm being put on the spot, but I, I honestly I can't recall at the moment. Eddie Murphy, Golden Child. Oh, wow. Yeah, man. I haven't seen That's that in forever. <laughs> Oof. Sonia, you, but, um, Sonia, coming up into my house, bringing these <laughs> references. Nah, nah, I like it. That's good. It's a, the deep cuts. No pun intended. That, they, that, that's perfect. But I, I, I kind of look at all the weapons and, and they all work. But when it comes to bosses, bosses are creative. It's just the levels that are really going to that really threw me for a loop, especially when they start throwing bosses at you in the red demon. And it doesn't care about your feelings. And it's just going to <laughs> it's going to crush you. And that's that's really the long and the short of it. This it's brutal. I do like the fact that you get armor upgrades that allow you to charge up your weapons and do screen uh, clearing attacks. But that's only if you can hold on to that armor, because it's most of the time when you're in the position to get it, if you do not know what you're going to do, you're going to be losing the upgrade almost immediately. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, you got to be you got to be on top of your game constantly. And I think that's part of the reward. I, I think it's a very rewarding game because of that. As Sanye was referring to earlier every she said every single time she de- defeated a boss they you know they were 
elated and that it's such a sense of pride and accomplishment. And that's actually one of the things that Fujiwara said when he went into game development. That was his goal. So he's not like the Dark Souls team. That's like, I, I want to be punished and I'm making a game because I hate myself. It's more like, bro. Um, <laughs> no, that's what that's what they said in Dark Souls. Oh, my God. This is an ongoing thing. <laughs> Chris just is going to continue to shit on Dark Souls forever just because he knows. I'm not shitting on it. That was from the devel- the developer of Dark Souls. No. That was. Th- mm-hmm. We'll talk about that okay. later. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. This guy was like, uh, Fujiwara came out and said he made the game in order to give people that sense of accomplishment. That's why it's as difficult as he is. I mean, real real facts, though, is so he can get more quarters from you. That's, that's probably. Yeah, right. I was going to say, is that the only reason, really? <laughs> no. Okay. I find it's a game that when you get it right and when you're executing the way the game wants you to execute it, it's extremely fun because the controls are responsive. Mm-hmm. Yes. They do what you want it to do. You don't have to double jump like in Super Ghouls and Ghosts, but you don't really need it. It's a really good game. It's just you have to get over the fact that it is hard. How about you, Shane? Yeah, I mean, uh, listen, I don't necessarily agree. And this might not be the last time this comes up in this particular episode, but I I don't necessarily agree with the like one to one comparison with Dark Souls because I think their style of difficulty is different enough that I think it warrants distinction. But I will say that they are very much the same in that you both of you are correct that if you do take the time to learn the the game mechanics and to to get good, such as it is um, at the at the game itself, that it is a very rewarding experience. I mean, overcoming a super difficult boss or something, there is probably very few things in the in the gaming sphere that feel better than that i think Mm -hmm. so i'm 100 percent on board with that like i actually remember uh in our previous in actually in our episode 100 i was talking about my first dark souls character and how i'd only ever made it up to quaylog and i remember that fight because that first character i had no prior knowledge of the game whatsoever and so my character build was shit like i'll just be honest it was terrible I'm surprised I made it as far as I did, but overcoming that battle was like probably one of the most like rewarding things I can think of because of just how elated I was. Like I threw my controller down on the couch and I was like standing up and I was just like, yep. Fuck yeah! <laughs> and, uh, and you don't get that that often. And that does tend to come with, you know, things like this where it is very much a challenge and it takes a lot of discipline to like really get through. So I get it. Um, the thing for me, though, the gameplay in this game and pretty much all of them in this series and games like it is it's the style of difficulty that doesn't really jive with me as much. And a lot of that has to do with sort of the frenetic like freneticism that comes with how this game plays. They're just constantly throwing shit at you very much in the same way as like a shmup. And I know, Chris, that's like very you know near and dear to him. Shmups are some of his favorites. And Mm -hmm. so I can understand how you might appreciate this. But for me, that's kind of a a detractor, actually, in a lot of ways, because I would rather have a much more a a difficult but methodical sort of gameplay. And that's part Mm. of the reason I like Dark Souls so much. This is really not that it's very much more of a kind of reflex twitchy kind of thing where you're like, I have eight different things occurring on the screen right now, and I need to make sure I dodge all of them. (laughs) And so that doesn't necessarily like play with me quite as well. And honestly, because this is an arcade game, right? Like, let's just be real. There are some cheap shots 
hundred percent. Yeah. Oh, fuck the bouncing turtles. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Or like you mentioned this in your notes too, Chris, but like the, the chests, you know, like sometimes opening a chest will be a good thing and you'll get some sweet ass armor. And then other times this asshole guy will come out and turn you into like, what is it? A rabbit or something or an old man. Yeah. Okay. Or a duck. It's only the first one though. Ah, well see, how would you know that? You don't know that until <laughs> until until you turn into an old man or a duck and then you're like, I'm never doing that again. So that's the trick is never get the first chest in any level. Ah, OK, we'll see. There you go. But you'd have to you'd have to play to even know that. So yes. there's just there's just some things like and this is not this is listen, this is not a knock specifically on this game. It's actually just a kind of a wider issue that I have with a lot of games that got their, you know, started life in the arcade because damn those retro games i know like why am i even fucking here like i what even is this show like i should just no but i mean for real though i mean a lot of the games that got their start in the arcade when they got ported to home consoles they didn't really get changed too much as far as the the difficulty and and how that was presented and so you basically got the same experience at home where you got to throw your own controller rather than getting pissed off in the arcade. And I just feel like there should have been something right. There should have been something that had should have been done in that process of coming into the home with these games to where you tweak it so that maybe it's a little bit more palatable and I'm not saying make it less difficult, but maybe just making it a little less cheap. Like you don't, you don't need those cheap shots. Like no one's going to get your quarters when you're sitting on your bed with your Genesis. You know what I mean? Fair enough. Fair enough. Good point. You'll only have your cousin sit on the console and <laughs> yeah. erase all your progress. Oh, man. I wanted to, like, choke him. <laughs> never let him live it down, ever. Uh, um, I, I Can I add something? I wanted to oh, add absolutely. that, like, yeah, I, I totally agree with both of you on, like, there's something about this game where, yes, it's hard, but it's, it's, it's good. I don't know what it is, but it makes you want to play it. There's something that makes you want to come back. I'm talking about the Sega version and play the game. And maybe it is that gratifying like feeling that you get that and you do get better at it. It's a learning curve. And um, I can compare it to, for example, playing E.T. on the Atari 2600. Oof. Now, granted, I was like a baby. Uh, I was playing mm-hmm. it. You know, I was just a couple of years old, five years old. And I got so frustrated by it that I, I do, didn't want to play the game and I didn't play the game. I, I just like turned it off. And like, yes, I know the history. Yes, it's the fastest that they, they made the game in six weeks. So that's like incredible at the time and all of that stuff. But man, that game was just not that was just like that was a different level hard. Like when the E.T. fell into the pit, mm-hmm. I could not I just couldn't play the game. Basically, I couldn't play it. So I don't know. No, I mean, that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. This game is a hard, but in a good way, I would say. I, I think it's the, the reason that you say, like, you keep going back to it is just because of that old arcade hallmark. I mean, people people go back to arcade games to keep playing it because, you know, there's there's probably a design philosophy to it, something that I'm not too smart to understand. But like you you see the possibility of overcoming it because it, it presents you with this fact that, oh, if I only did this just slightly differently, I can make it further. Or if I just if I memorize these patterns, I can get to the next area. And it's the controls are basic and simple enough that 
once you learn these patterns or areas you're not supposed to step in, like the uh, antlion part where certain parts of the bridge will break when you walk over them. Ah, yeah. Right. And you start to learn where those parts in the bridge are. So you're like, okay, next time I'm going to I'm going to make sure that I don't step on this part. That memorization, as as you have pointed out, that leads to people wanting to come back because it's like, I know I can do it. I just got to remember where to do it. Now, some people say that's good design philosophy for like addictive addictiveness and for people to come back. And some say that's just terrible game design philosophy because you're not actually playing the game and reacting to what's happened. You have to learn it. It's it's two different theories of thought, but it does it does incite you to come back and try again with your learned knowledge. And I think that's why you see a lot of that in arcades. For sure. Yeah, no, I mean, 100 percent agree. And it's funny, too, because like in a way, right, I'm kind of talking about how I think some of the arcade game design philosophy maybe doesn't belong in a home console. But then there are some games that still kind of adhere to that, even if they didn't necessarily get a start in an arcade, although I think maybe both of them did. But there are a few that like I sort of I wouldn't say accidentally, but just by virtue of living in a time when you're younger where like you only have a handful of games right and so just by virtue of a limited selection you kind of end up getting good at those mm. mm-hmm. i mean chris knows this and and most of our longer time listeners know this as well but like there are two for super nintendo that i am i will just always be good at and the only reason is because that was one of the few games i had to play and that is turtles in time and contra 3 and both of those games especially contra 3 a lot of people consider to be very difficult and for me that's just like a i I don't get it because like i can breeze through those games no problem but that that is the consequence of you know, playing just it over having, and over and over. Yeah, again. yeah, exactly. And and memorizing and playing it over and over again and just getting better at recognizing patterns and knowing where to be at the right time. And, yes. you know, that applies to this as well, for sure. Oh, very much so. Absolutely. All right. So moving along, I think this this one, I think for me, is probably the standout. But let's let's talk about how this game looks, the the graphical presentation. So let's start with Chris this time. Uh, for for a game uh, on the Genesis in 1989, this is just utterly fantastic. This is a fan. This is a great looking game. People have to realize this is pre Sonic. Mm-hmm. Mm. If you compare it to a lot of other Genesis games that were coming out at this time, and I have I've played my share of them as uh, going back and collecting a lot of Genesis games myself. This is definitely a step above anything you're getting at the time. Arthur looks great. The enemies look great. The backgrounds look great. You got your parallax scrolling. You got this creepy environment. There's not much you can really complain about. It's it's a stellar game. And maybe it wasn't a one to one arcade conversion, because how could it be? You know, arcades were still significantly more powerful than what you were getting at home. Oh, yeah. But it's it's damn close. The reason that Sega was able to market the Genesis as a home arcade machine as effectively as they were. It's because of games like Ghouls and Ghosts. So, yeah, I mean, it's a fantastic game for a 1989 Genesis release. No question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, awesome. Uh, Sonia, what would you like to add to that? For sure. hundred percent agree. Uh, I mean, yeah, you're right. Thank you for reminding me, too, that it was before Sonic, um, because, mm-hmm. you know, Sonic is another one of those games that I played endlessly. And um, you start to get used to things like that and take it for granted. But at the time, yeah, this is a uh, the graphics were amazing and the the weapons and you can tell what each one was and 16 bit, right? 
it was it was the uh, you know sometimes people who make fun of people who play still 16-bit games <clears throat> me I'm like <laughs> you want to remind them like uh, a CD is 16-bit by the way and it still is if you any audio CD that you have is 16-bit okay so mm. no hating on the 16 bits here <laughs> if somebody told me that they would maybe make a 3d version like i checked out a few other versions online when i was you know researching and i saw that there was like a a 3d version i think on the psp i'm not sure uh, there was a they they made a remastered i don't remember the exact name because they just came out with one called resurrected mm-hmm. but they made a like a 2.5 d1 for the psp kind of in the same vein as Mega Man powered up and for the PlayStation 2, they kind of made a semi-sequel called Maximo. And that one was full 3D. But the one on the PSP was like a 2.5D uh, side-scroller. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, now that I'm getting used to my Switch, I know this is so weird talking about Sega and then switching to Nintendo. But if if they made a Switch version, you know, that was 3D, I would definitely want to play it, you know. and Or even a virtual VR, you know, VR, if it was like in 8K or whatever. Like, if they, I would want to play the game, maybe it would be too hard then. Maybe it would be like, I'd be so focused on the graphics that I wouldn't be able to play the game. And, <laughs> but even if they did do that and I loved it, I would still play the 16-bit version because there's just something about it and it's classic. It's, you know, it's it's why we listen to old records still or watch old movies. It's like, yes, the technology has evolved, but there's something special about where it began. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, you're you're definitely preaching to the choir here for sure, because one of the things that I think we always kind of espouse is the fact that it doesn't matter how good you know, the graphics are going to get in modern games and things like that. There is never anything that's going to be quite like well done sprite work. Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. Yeah. And this game definitely has that. And it just has a certain personality um, that I feel like it gets lost when you kind of move to, you know, the third dimension and start incorporating all those all those fancy polygons and, and meshes and, and whatnot is there is something, um, a certain, perhaps, je ne sais quoi, quoi. (laughs) that gets lost along the way. And it's kind of unfortunate. Yeah, I I honestly, I don't really have a whole lot to add. I think you guys covered this really well. But I will say that the the graphics for this game is absolutely the the biggest standout for me. It's it's quite literally the reason that, you know, I I gave this game or like Super Ghouls and Ghosts a shot as many times as I did, despite knowing that uh, inevitably those would all end in just abject failure because I just get my, you know, no longer armored ass handed to me. (laughs) But yeah, I think that's the thing that really draws me in. And I'm sure I'm not the only one. I mean, from even just going from the box art, which if you can get good box art, man, that's always it's something I miss, too, about new games. I mean, we don't even have boxes anymore, so what the fuck am I even talking about? <laughs> the, like, hand-drawn, like, box art, when it's done well, it is done really well. And so you have that, and then you have the the sprite work that was done as well as they did here to just create, you know, that atmosphere. And, yeah, that's that's what kept me coming back, even though, honestly, cards on the table, I don't think I've ever gotten past, like, maybe the third level of this game, if I'm lucky. <laughs> so, and that's even on practice mode. Like, I just, oof, this game you're just okay, destroys okay. me. It's all good. 
I, I will say, I, you bring up a great point. I know it's not really graphics. I don't know where else we'd really put it in terms of where our opinion is on it. But sure. Oh, that that cover art for this game. Oh, yeah. Uh, right. The, this, like the American version is just so badass. Mm-hmm. It's I, it's I think it's the best cover that you have out of the entire series, at least in the United States. I think I have a poster of it. Oh, it's so isn't it? It's, it's fantastic. Yeah, it really is. It's uh, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I would have forgotten it. Also, now I'm just really jealous of this poster. Oh. Yeah, yeah, no shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, to, it's it's you know the poster where where you'd open the cartridge and then it would be like the game, the the paper that came with the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you'd unfold it and you're like, "Whoa, the other side is a poster." <laughs> so cool. <laughs> yeah, I think I've still got a Warcraft 3 one like that kicking around somewhere. I also want to say like a little like a little shout out here to Yuji Naka for for programming this game for being the lead programmer mm-hmm. because it really showed because I if this game came out in 89 for the Genesis, then like Sonic was the next year, the year after uh, I think it was 90 mm-hmm. that Sonic came out. Yeah, 90, I think. And it really showed the grasp that Naka had with the Genesis hardware because it had been out for a year at this point. So him working on this really shows because I think Sonic graphically still today, I think we said this in the Sonic episode, holds up really well. So when you mm-hmm. look at what they did here with with Ghouls and Ghosts, and with the limited color palette the Genesis had and being being able to do what they did with it, like, yeah, it's it's really a monumental effort that definitely still holds up today. Yeah, for sure. So we are approaching the the end almost of our discussion here, but I think we're treading into territory where we're just going to throw out some amateur ass opinions and then I'm going to let Sonia wrap it up because she knows what she's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, music and, and sound design is usually the last one we touch on other than some miscellaneous items. So I'll go ahead and go first. I will say um, I don't think just, you know, for the sake of full honesty, I don't think it's necessarily a fair comparison, but I, I have to agree, I think, with what Chris is probably going to touch on a little bit here in a second of it tends to be a little bit difficult sometimes to go back to some of these games, especially when you've had time and experience with, you know, their sequels or even spiritual successors in some cases where, you know, something like the soundtrack for Super Ghouls and Ghosts, I feel like I have to say is far superior to this, which is not to say that this is bad because it is not. Mm-hmm. I think the tracks that were composed and chosen for each of the levels were expertly done in that they fit the theme and the mood like perfectly. And it kind of puts together this really great package deal that is sort of part and parcel and just as important, if not more so than the graphical presentation to create this entire package, um, you know, that gives you that sense of place um, that it does. And we've had this discussion before where we've talked about previous titles where it's sometimes, you know, we have to being being a retro game show, right? We kind of have to divorce ourselves from our experiences with later later titles that may have improved upon this and take that moment to really recognize that you know this was sort of the the bedrock for it and you know give it the credit where it's where it's probably due chris what what are your feelings about it i would say it's i think i've said this about some games and their soundtracks before in the past particularly final fantasy 7 for an example where the composition is fine mm. it's just that the the, the sampling it isn't necessarily the best. So like the sounds used for a lot of the music I, I didn't like. 
Um, and even for the general sound design in general, like when a weapon hits something, the, the ping sound it makes, I, I don't like. I think it's kind of annoying. But um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when it when it comes to like the actual like music, like you're, you're right in terms of composition, everything sounds fine. But you also have to remember the Genesis uses FM synth and very few games on the Genesis really took full advantage of that. Like there's definitely exceptions like um, Yuzo Koshiro that you hear in the Streets of Rage series. He really knew how to take advantage of that sound set. But this is still early in the Genesis days. So if it wasn't like this kind of uh, more um, poppy or dance or or kind of metallic sound to it, as a lot of people say, the Sega Genesis fart noises, <laughs> if it didn't really align with that you weren't getting like great sounding music mm-hmm. and it that's not the kind of music that um ghouls and ghosts requires it, it does it's far better suited for the kind of music that you could get on the super nintendo with this reverb and everything like that so yeah i mean a good effort was put into it and doing the best they could from the arcade version and bringing it over it, it but it does sound too much like the you know quote unquote video game sound um that that you that would be so much stereotype of video games throughout you know the early 90s up until you know even 10 years ago 15 years ago mm-hmm. so i would definitely say the sound overall in terms of just uh sound selection uh is is probably my least favorite aspect of this game hmm. i would have to say uh not but again i'm not going to sit here and, and shit on the music composition of ghouls and ghosts the opening level level one that that's that song's iconic. Oh, yeah. And I don't know any retro gamer that doesn't know that song. That's worth their salt. <laughs> or <laughs> hearing that song also causes flashbacks. <laughs> Trauma. Yes. PTSD. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I guess we should turn over to the actual like professional musician here on their take yes. of the sound design. Professional? Now, I'm just thinking about fart noises. <laughs> I mean, I wish they sounded you- like Sega. Uh, probably would make my husband happier. But anyways, oh, so, man. what is music? My gosh. Well, uh, I mean, yeah, this, the, the music, I agree with everything that's been said. Both of you basically said everything that I would want to say. Um, Chris, especially with um, uh, when you said, um, uh, sorry, Shane, when you said that each song, uh, each tune goes with each level, mm. like masterfully. I absolutely agree with that. I think that's the best part, actually, that they they go together amazingly. But I do agree in that it's not my favorite, you know, video game music per se. Um, some of the music that I I personally love is on Sonic CD mm, mm-hmm. and also on the other Sonic games. I love the the melodies and, you know, for many levels like Labyrinth and the, the Casino Zone. And, and it's, just, it's just so catchy, all that music, you know, so. I wouldn't pers- like listen to a CD of Ghouls and Ghosts music playing in the background, but I might for Sonic CD. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I will I will jam out to Escape from the City forever yes. and always. Yes. Yep. Yes. So, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> um, but uh, again, yeah, like you said, for 89, this is uh, really good compositions and let's give some uh shout outs to the writers tim folan and tamayo kawamoto yes i had to look that up tamayo (laughs) what you didn't just know that i thought that was common knowledge i know right (laughs) if he's if this if he did this game so if you just said the fallen if if i think it's the fallen brothers is it i think let me look this up definitely i I, I, because he may have done like a silver surfer which is one of the best 
um, soundtracks on the NES, but it might. Isn't that wrong. actual game kind of garbage though? No, the game's total garbage. Okay, that's what I thought. <laughs> At least the music's good. <laughs> I do want to add that Tamayo, the other composer, uh, is a female, which I think is really cool because I don't think we had many of those, especially in the '80s. Like yeah. you know, women in gaming, uh, and she's there. She yeah. was composing music for this game. So, woohoo! Yeah, shockingly, in Japan, not so much the United States, but in Japan, a lot of uh, composers were female. Ah, that's awesome. Some of the bigger ones, yeah, like uh, in Castlevania, Mega Man, mm-hmm. like female composers. And yeah, not a lot of people know that. That's so cool. Yeah, so Tim Fallon is one of the is the Fallon brothers. And yeah, he did the Silver Server soundtrack. A lot of, yeah, he's one of the, known as being one of the best composers for just uh, conversions, especially on like the Commodore 64. Do you know if that was the uh, Commodore 64 version of Ghouls and Ghosts was, or was it also for the Genesis version? Uh, I'm not sure. Okay. Yeah. He did it. I wish I had my, yeah, I wish I had my cartridge uh, with me with uh, what do you call it? The, the, the case. I left the case yeah. at home, but it would be on the back of my case. <laughs> oh, I got it. He did it for the Amiga Commodore and Atari ST. Ah. Hmm. Interesting. So I need to check out those soundtracks because he's he's fantastic. Nice. So I think one last thing that I kind of wanted to, to highlight, I think, before we uh, start to wrap up was actually something that, Sonia, you had in your notes that I think is actually a really excellent point. Um, and it's something that's kind of hard to describe, I think. And that is when a soundtrack is composed in a certain way, ten, the, the tracks somehow tend to take on the the personality and like the feeling of what is being presented or what is occurring in that particular level and you point that out by saying like for instance the the music for like the fire dragon boss the the music sounds like fire and like torches and that's it's hard to really sort of you know describe what that means but i think we all kind of have this innate sense of like oh yeah i get what you're saying even though we can't really like enunciate that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you get that. And, and like, you know, when the, the level where the tongues come out and it's all like slimy mm-hmm. and gross, like the music yeah. sounds like that. that level. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <Hate> that level. <laughs> <laughs> well, apart from Chris's distaste for the level, like I think, yeah, it, it is a good point. Um, you know, and that's, that's definitely something to, to take note of. All right. So do we actually, I guess we have a couple of little miscellaneous tidbits for this one. I didn't personally have anything, but um, any anything that the two of you would like to quickly cover? I'll throw one out real quick. Sure. Uh, and that is the Sega Master System version mm-hmm. is wildly different than any other version of this game. Because there's actually stores and shops that you can go to to buy your power ups. What? So it has, yeah, it has a little bit of that Monster Boy flavor to it. Well, hmm. not Monster Boy, Wonder Boy 2 flavor to it in addition to just the actual standard game. So if you want a little bit different of an experience and uh, to test your skills or just see what it was like on the Master System, that sounds like an interesting game that you should go ahead and play. Power up. Sorry. I was going to say that. That's an interesting thing because that seems to be a a theme. Because when we did our Ninja Gaiden episode, the, the Master System version of that game is also wildly different. Oh, yeah. Every version of Ninja Gaiden is wildly different. Yeah. Well, it's, true. That's yes. just a that's just a shit show <laughs> in more ways than one. Yes. Uh, Sonia, you said you had something. Yeah. I was wondering if anyone, either of you or do you know of anyone that has played this on the Sega Mini? I have. It's the exact Chris. Same. 
Yes. It's the exact same? Yeah, it's the exact same as the Genesis version. Uh, but um, it was released on both the Sega Mini and the TurboGrafx-16 Mini. And the reason that is cool on the TurboGrafx-16 Mini is, as it was pointed out in the uh, brief history, is that it was on the Super Graphics, which was a Japanese exclusive console, mm. which allows you to play essentially souped up versions of PC Engine games. There's only like eight games made, and this was one of the launch titles. It was a complete disaster. They are very expensive now, and they are totally not worth it. But it is a cool console because it actually looks like a car engine. Oh, nice. <laughs> uh, selling point I never thought I would have heard. But yeah, yeah, I guess that's true. But that's about it. That's all I got. Awesome. So uh, we're going to wrap up the discussion of Ghouls and Ghosts by uh, talking a little bit about whether or not we each feel that this game still holds up today. And by that, of course, we mean if someone were to sit down and fire this game up in its original form, uh, would they still enjoy it? And is it still something that would be worth somebody's time? And so I think we'll let our guest go first so that she can kind of get her full thoughts out there before we go and like step on any of them or anything like that. So <laughs> Sanye, how do you how do you feel about this game today? Do you think it still holds up? All right. Yes. So in your uh, your to quote you, you said in its original form, asterisk, I would like to add the Sega Genesis version. OK, yeah, fair. Yes, it holds up today. That's why we're talking about it. Right. It's a classic <laughs> And I would definitely say to play this game and play this version, put it on practice mode. If you can <laughs> play with a friend who is a pro to coach you through it. OK, because you don't okay. want to get frustrated and give up like I did with E.T. True. Uh, another awesome thing you could do is watch a few tricks and tips on YouTube before digging mm. in. OK, or when you feel stuck and. You know, I don't mean like get some cheat codes. I mean, like learn, you know, how to get through something, actually how to play it. And, you know, we didn't have that option in the 80s. So we have YouTube. Why not use it? Right. Yeah. You had to pay two dollars a minute to call the 1-800 number to get some some hints. <laughs> I was not allowed to call any one nine hundred. I mean, one eight hundred numbers when I was little. <laughs> well, I wasn't either, but somebody must have. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm playing it today. I have it on pause. I'm going to keep playing it after we, we wrap up um, because I want to actually finish it. I was determined. I'm like, I'm going to finish this thing. Even if I have a crappy controller, I don't care. <laughs> so, yeah, it's awesome. And I love that it's got the Halloween theme, but you could really just play it all year long. Why not? That's just my feelings about Halloween in general, frankly. But yeah. Exactly. In New York City, too. You know, when you see people dressed up and I'm talking about any given day. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, that's just a Halloween thing up that's there. That's just think. the East Village, really, yeah, yeah, <laughs> or, or anywhere in New York. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Uh, Chris, what? how do you feel about it? I'm going to say, yes, it holds up today, but with mm -hmm. a heavy, heavy asterisk. Okay. And that is, look, if you get good at this game, you, you do two playthroughs. Like, you beat it once, it kicks you back. It says you got to beat it again with the magic armor, and you have to have the certain weapon in order to properly beat it, right? In order to do that... It is going to take you hours, if not hundreds of hours. Like, this is what this game is. You have to dedicate yourself to it like you would dedicate yourself to any game that would take 10, 20, 30 hours to beat. Mm -hmm. That's just how it's designed to be. If you're willing to commit to it, you're going to be able to get good at this game. But if you're not, if you go into it and you're thinking that even on practice mode, you're just going to run through it and it's going to be a, a typical kind of enjoyable frolic through 
through a hellscape, I think that you are going into this with a completely misinformed state of mind. Great game, fun game, very responsive, arcade brutal difficulty. So know that before going in. But yes, it, it's, it's held up. It has stood the test of time. And it's a fantastic Sega Genesis game that I think if you're a collector, you should check out. Woohoo. Okay. Well, I guess I'll I'll tie this discussion off with a nice little bow and say that for the most part, uh, I, th- I think I'm kind of an outlier in this in this in this group in that I kind of have a little bit of a resounding meh overall for it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, whatever, man. But the point is, right, is it's kind of what I talked about earlier in the gameplay section is that I. You know, I I have an issue with the arcade levels of difficulty just being brought into a home console. That's an always that's always an iffy proposition for me, regardless of what it is that we're talking about. And this game is really no exception to that. Um, And honestly, it's you know, it's this is a subjective opinion, of course. And so there's going to be a little bit of bias. And for me, if we're talking about this series, if I was given the choice uh, of what I wanted to slam my head up against for a few hours, <laughs> it would be super ghouls and ghosts. And that's only because that's the one that I had the most experience with. It's the one that I own. And I think in some ways I feel like that one is the better game, but again, that's just kind of some, some personal bias, but I will say, you know, I don't disagree with either one of you. If this is your jam, like if, if this is the kind of thing that you really enjoy, it is still a very tightly controlled experience and it is going to give you a solid challenge, um, both to your reflexes and your patience. So if that is your wheelhouse, then then I would say, yes, it would hold up for you. If not, ugh, it's it's a it's a hard maybe. <laughs> I think maybe is fair. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. I got one. I got some parting words before you end. Sorry, I forgot no, to mention. For I forgot to mention my last parting words for this game is skip the first treasure chest. <laughs> That's that, it. Those, those are good words of wisdom. Yes. I wish I would have known that. <laughs> <laughs> now you do. Now you can go back and play it and appreciate it. Yeah, that was it. That was the one thing that was holding me back, man. Uh, <laughs> get good, Shane. Get good. Uh, I only, I can only get good at so many things, Chris. Uh, but at any rate, I suppose that brings us to uh, the conclusion of our discussion of ghouls and ghosts today. So first and foremost, I would like to thank our guest Sanye for gracing us with her presence. This has been a fantastic experience. So thank you for coming on the show. Woohoo! Thank you for having me. And uh, before we jump into our little spiel, we always want to make sure that we give a chance for our esteemed guests to go ahead and plug any of the amazing things that they're doing out there. So Sanye, what would you like to let the fine listeners at home know about? Well, I just want to say thanks for listening. And if you want to check out some of my music, it's on Spotify. Check me out. Sanye Music is my handle for everything. S-A-N-I-Y-E. It's like Kanye kind of, but not really. (laughs) Sanye. And uh, yeah, I got an album up there called Let's Play. It's about like video game themes and um, pop music and all that good stuff. So yeah, looking forward. Thank you. Awesome. All right. And as far as we are concerned, if you are listening to this, then that means you've found us. So hi, hello, welcome. 
We are glad that you are here. If you would like to engage with the show in some other different ways, we do make that available to you. And not only that, but in one convenient location. So if you'd like to check out things like our YouTube channel or our Twitch streams or our social media, or if you'd like to support the show in a different fashion, the Patreon or the merch store, you can find all of those things by simply heading over to Linktree slash Retro Hangover. That's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash retro hangover and speaking of our uh twitch streams chris would you would you like to tell the fine people a little bit about our 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 sunday endeavors oh yes of course so if you go to twitch.tv slash retro hangover at 9 p.m eastern time then you can catch us playing video games, which right now will only be Shane because, of course, you know, hotel, internet and everything. But that's okay because Shane has a really sultry and seductive voice Ooh. for everyone to come and listen to. That was probably poor phrasing. Every, However, every time you say this, we're just getting closer and closer to an <laughs> ASMR stream. Like, it's just going to happen. <laughs> please watch Twitch. Show the Twitch please. <laughs> Sir, please back away from the microphone. <laughs> Watch Shane talk and play video games at <laughs> twitch.tv slash retro hangover, 9 p.m. Eastern time. I will see you there. Either ASMR or it's NPR or maybe a little bit of both. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. Well, I suppose with all of that being said, until next time, play with your javelin throwing joysticks. Shane here with a quick message. You know, the one rule Chris and I have always gone by regarding advertisements is this. It has to be something we use and can personally vouch for. If you know me, you know I love coffee. And Bones Coffee Company has been my go-to for home brewing for quite some time now. Their small batch beans come in an impressive variety of flavors like Mint Invaders from Chocolate Space or Electric Unicorn, which I swear tastes exactly like Fruity Pebbles. And the best part? No added sugar or calories involved, just natural flavors infused right into the beans themselves. Build your own sample pack of five four ounce bags to find out which flavors speak to you, or jump in headfirst with full 12 ounce bags. They've even got K-Cups. Step up your homebrew game with Bones Coffee by visiting bit.ly slash RHP Bones. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash R-H-P-B-O-N-E-S.